Hello and welcome to this August 17th installment of AZ Law here on member-supported SunSounds of Arizona and sunsounds.org. I'm your volunteer reader and a Phoenix attorney, Paul Wyke. We explore Arizona's legal and judicial systems in this new program. We have several news articles and commentaries for this installment from a variety of sources. And we'll remind you that AZ Law is produced by SunSounds of Arizona under the Chafee Amendment to the Copyright Act. That states that authorized entities that are governmental or nonprofit organizations whose primary mission is to provide copyrighted works in specialized formats to blind or disabled people. By continuing to listen, you are verifying that you have an eligible print reading disability. So let's go ahead and get to the program right now. Our first article is reported by myself, Paul Wyke, and it was reported on Thursday. Goodyear firefighters' workers' comp claim for leukemia should be reheard, says Arizona Supreme Court. Here's the article. A Goodyear firefighter now battling a rare leukemia may continue fighting for his workers' compensation claim, according to a unanimous opinion today from the Arizona Supreme Court. The justices found that the administrative law judge, or ALJ, who had affirmed the denial of the exposure claim had not issued any findings to support his decision and that it must therefore be set aside. Gilbert Aguirre has been a Goodyear firefighter for 12 years and has responded to fires at meth labs and others involving jet fuel, paint thinners, and other chemicals. In 2015, he was diagnosed with chronic myeloid leukemia, or CML. He brought the claim that his CML was caused by his workplace exposure to those toxic chemicals. Copper Point Insurance denied the claim against the city, and the Industrial Commission of Arizona reviewed the denial. The ICA's ALJ then heard conflicting testimony from both sides, physicians from both sides, and affirmed the denial without stating his specific reasons for finding that Aguirre had not carried his burden of proof that the toxic chemicals that he had encountered had caused the CML. Justice Andrew Gould wrote the opinion for the unanimous court and blasted the terse decision from the ALJ, and he said this, Here, because the ALJ made no findings, the award is legally deficient and must be set aside. Although the ALJ generally cited the occupational disease statute, he made none of the findings required under the statutes. Specifically, the award neither resolves the material issue of whether Aguirre quote, was exposed to a known carcinogen and the carcinogen is reasonably related to, the end of the quote, related to his CML, nor does it resolve the conflicting opinions of doctors Wilkenfeld and Salganik on this material issue. That's the end of the quote from the opinion. The court also rejected the city's argument that it had been the firefighters' responsibility to specifically raise the argument that the ALJ decision was deficient. Here, the ALJ made no material findings at all, the opinion stated. Thus, because he failed to fulfill his statutory duty, we cannot, as a practical matter, review his decision on appeal. And that's the end of the article. Goodyear Firefighters' Workers' Comp Claim for Leukemia Should Be Reheard, says the Arizona Supreme Court. Our next article is from the Associated Press. It was published on Wednesday. The headline reads, Arizona Prosecutors Lose Bid to Seek Death Penalty Against Immigrant. Here's the article at Stateline Phoenix. Prosecutors have lost another bid to seek the death penalty against an immigrant from Mexico charged with murder in the 2015 shooting death of a convenience store clerk in Metro Phoenix. 
The Arizona Court of Appeals denied a request by prosecutors to reinstate their effort to seek the death penalty against Apolinar Altamirano in the killing of 21-year-old clerk Grant Ronnebeck. The case against Altamirano has been cited by President Donald Trump, who has railed against crimes committed against American citizens by immigrants who are in the U.S. illegally. Trump has created a new office to serve victims of immigration crimes and their relatives. He also has invoked such crimes at rallies, pointing to cases in which people were killed by immigrant assailants. Altamirano is a citizen of Mexico who has lived in the U.S. without authorization for almost 20 years. He has been deported and returned to the U.S. in the past. He is accused of fatally shooting Ronnebeck at a store in Mesa after the clerk insisted that he pay for a pack of cigarettes. Authorities say Altamirano stepped over Ronnebeck to get several packs of cigarettes before leaving the store. Altamirano has already been sentenced to six years in prison for earlier guilty pleas in the case to misconduct involving weapons. He has pleaded not guilty to the murder, robbery, and other charges. And that was a brief article from the Associated Press, and it was published this past Wednesday. And the headline was, Arizona Prosecutors Lose the Bid to Seek Death Penalty Against Immigrant. Our next death penalty-related article is from the Arizona Republic, and this was published on August 9th. Arizona convicted murders retrial resulted in a double jeopardy violation, Arizona Supreme Court rules. The Arizona Supreme Court determined that the retrial of convicted murderer Philip John Martin violated the double jeopardy clause of the U.S. Fifth Amendment the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, in an opinion issued on Friday. The law of double jeopardy states that a person cannot be tried for the same offense twice. Martin was tried for first-degree murder in 2013 for the killing of his neighbor, but the jury was unable to agree on that charge and instead convicted him of the lesser offense of second-degree murder, the court record said. He was then sentenced to 16 years in prison. He then appealed to the Arizona Court of Appeals for a retrial, but before the second trial, the trial court granted the state's motion to retry Martin for first-degree murder once again, which Martin claimed violated the double jeopardy clause, the record said. The second trial then resulted in his conviction of first-degree murder, and his sentencing was changed to natural life in prison. Martin was convicted for fatally shooting his neighbor with a shotgun in 2012 as the neighbor approached his house to speak with him. Martin admitted shooting the victim, but claimed he did so because he feared for his own safety, claiming he saw a bulge on the victim's side that he thought was a gun. He also claimed that he told the victim repeatedly to leave the property, but he kept advancing toward the house. The court records said the state granted a review of Martin's case because whether double jeopardy prevents a retrial on the greater offense in these circumstances presents a recurring question of statewide importance. The state argued that since there was no conviction on first-degree murder in the first trial, it did not pertain to the double jeopardy clause. However, the defendant believed the jury still had the opportunity to convict him of first-degree murder, and its inability to decide did not grant the court's permission to attempt at convicting him with first-degree murder an additional time. Over the course of reviewing Martin's case and using previous double jeopardy rulings, the court stated that the jury had the full and complete opportunity to prove its case for first-degree murder, and jeopardy stopped that crime from following the jury's guilty verdict on the second-degree murder charge. The court also decided when a verdict is reached on a lesser-included 
included offense, jeopardy terminates for the greater offense, and the defendant may not be retried on that greater offense. The Arizona Supreme Court concluded that trying Martin a second time for first-degree murder violated his constitutional right to be free from double jeopardy, the court opinion stated. And that was an article from the Arizona Republic dated August 9th. Arizona convicted murders retrial resulted in a double jeopardy violation, Arizona Supreme Court rules. That headline should probably be Arizona convicted murderers retrial, not murders retrial. Well, let's move on. And we have another article that pertains to the death penalty. This is actually a commentary. It was published on the same day in the Arizona Republic by columnist E.J. Montini. The headline is, An Arizona Prosecutor's Case Against the Death Penalty. And this is not involving the same case. Here's the column. Rick Unclesbay watched through the glass in the witness room as the poison flowed down the long, thin plastic tubes into the arm of Donald J. Miller and quickly and quietly killed him. It was November 8, 2000. Uncles Bay felt obligated to be at the Arizona State Prison that day, since as a prosecutor in Pima County, it had been his job to see that Miller was strapped onto the gurney and pumped full of deadly drugs. In 1993, Miller was hired by his friend Jose Luna to kill the mother of Luna's child, 18-year-old Jennifer Guedar, who had been who had been asking Luna for $50 a month to help offset the cost of diapers and formula. She was shot to death with a 25 caliber caliber pistol. Luna pleaded guilty and received a life sentence. Miller went to trial and got death. Think of that. Two men, same crime, the one more responsible, still alive. Even with his death sentence, Miller would most likely still be alive as well if he had not asked a judge to vacate his appeals. Not all of those who receive the state's most severe penalty can take life on death row. Miller was one of those who preferred death. A volunteer, prosecutors call them. Uncles Bay has been prosecuting murders since 1981. Sixteen of his convictions have resulted in death sentences. But in so many of them, as happened with Miller and Luna, the punishments for the guilty wind up being wildly divergent, determined by variables that range from who decides they should face the death penalty, who represents them, who prosecutes them, who the judge is, who is on the jury, even what county they have committed their crime in. And so, after all these years, Uncles Bay wrote a book, a straightforward look at some of his capital cases and how they led a lifetime prosecutor to decide that the death penalty should be abolished. The book is called Arbitrary Death, a Prosecutor's Perspective on the Death Penalty. That's what struck me about these cases, Uncles Bay told me, their arbitrary nature. I didn't write the book trying to persuade anyone whether they should agree or disagree with the death penalty, but to understand the process trying to take a lay perspective. When someone gets the death penalty, it's not like in a movie western where the scaffold with the hangman's noose goes up the next day. Each death penalty case goes for automatic reviews. The process between the imposition of the sentence and carrying it out can be decades, with each case costing taxpayers millions. It's why some smaller counties do not have the resources to pursue a death penalty at all. 
It's a human system, Uncle's Bay said, so it is subjective, and that goes for a number of steps along the way. We spend millions on each case, so if you wanted to look at it in a way that is fairly crass, it is not very efficient for all the money the taxpayers are pouring into the system. And, said Montini, it also does not seem equitable given the unpredictable nature of who is executed and who is not. Uncles Bay does not preach in his book, however. He tells the story of the crimes and the cases and allows the reader to puzzle over the outcomes, sometimes wondering how a judge could not impose a death sentence, sometimes wondering the opposite. As it says in the title of the book, so much of the process seems arbitrary. On a number of occasions, I've had victim family members tell me that if they had clearly understood the delays and the appeals in the years that pass, that they would have asked us not to consider a death sentence, Uncles Bay said. And yet, we now have Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich wanting Governor Doug Ducey to go after a drug that will allow Arizona to start carrying out death sentences, and U.S. Attorney General William Barr wanting the same. And President Donald Trump saying after the mass shootings in Dayton, Ohio, and El Paso, Texas, today I'm also directing the Department of Justice to propose legislation ensuring that those who commit hate crimes and mass murders face the death penalty and that this capital punishment be delivered quickly, decisively, and without years of needless delay. Uncle's Bay sighs at such comments. Clearly, the president does not understand how the American justice system works, he said. Getting politicians to abandon the death penalty is not easy. They would rather waste the millions on each case than to have a potential opponent say that they have gone soft on crime. But what does an actual execution bring? Uncles Bay writes, the ending is anticlimactic. The execution has not brought back the victim, of course, and with few exceptions, has not brought anyone any satisfaction. Families continue to try to survive their loss, but I'm yet to be told that an execution has brought closure. And with that quote from Uncles Bay, that's the close of the column by E.J. Montini in the Arizona Republic from August 9th. It was headlined, an Arizona prosecutor's case against the death penalty. Well, our next article does not have anything to do with the death penalty. It is, the headline says, Off-Track Betting Company Challenges a 2019 Law. It was published on August 12th this week by Howard Fisher from Capital Media Services. The owners of off-track betting signals from several out-of-state tracks is asking a federal jury to void a new law which would require them to sell their services to all Arizona tracks, whether they want to or not. In a new lawsuit filed Monday, attorney Scott Klaus said the state has no legal right to interfere with interstate off-track betting. He told U.S. District Court Judge John Tucci the statute approved by Arizona lawmakers earlier this year conflicts with federal law. Klaus also charges that the new Arizona law unconstitutionally interferes with the right of monarch content management, his client, to decide with whom it wants to do business. Most immediately, Klaus wants Tucci to block the law from taking effect as scheduled on August 27th while the court decides the merits of the argument. A spokeswoman for the Arizona Department of Gaming, which regulates horse racing and is the defendant in the lawsuit, declined to comment. Hanging in the balance is whether Arizona Downs and Prescott Valley is going to get access to Monarch signals for its seven OTB sites, a decision that could determine the future of the track. 
Monarch has provided OTB signals from multiple tracks to Turf Paradise in Phoenix and its OTB sites around the state for years. Klaus said that also includes access to betting pools for the races being broadcast and access to real-time odds and other betting information. Last year, the newly reopened Arizona Downs also sought access to the simulcast. Monarch agreed to send its signals to the Prescott Valley track, but refused to provide it for their OTB sites. At least part of the issue is that three of the Arizona Downs OTB sites are in the Phoenix area, potentially setting them up as competitors to the Turf Paradise OTB facilities. The location of Arizona Downs' OTB sites would create dilution of the wagering product and depress the overall consumption of content, Klaus wrote. Earlier this year, however, lawmakers voted to force Monarch into an all-or-nothing situation. If it wants to do business with Turf Paradise, it has to provide the same signals to anyone else who wants it. Potentially more significant, it gives the Arizona Racing Commission the authority to review any contracts to determine whether the fees are excessive or unreasonable by comparing it to what is charged to others and determining whether those practices are anti-competitive or deceptive. Klaus complained to Tucci that these terms are not defined, and that, he said, makes it problematic because it subjects violators to potential criminal felony penalties if they do not agree to enter into agreements with all would-be buyers on terms that that the Arizona Racing Commission finds acceptable. If nothing else, Klaus said the law interferes with Monarch's ability to maintain its ability to freely negotiate and enter into contracts. The issue has implications for whether Arizona Downs, which stopped live racing for a period earlier this summer, can remain financially viable. Monarch sells the signals from the tracks owned by the Sonarch Group, Monarch's parent company. That includes California's Santa Anita Park and Gulfstream Park in Florida, and those are considered among the top tracks on which people like to wager. It also sells signals from other tracks its parent company does not own, and it sells the signals from the more than 130 days of live racing at Turf Paradise to other tracks. Anne McGovern, general manager of Arizona Downs, said her track can survive financially, but only if there is a level playing field. Ideally, she said, that means Arizona Downs being able to take wagers at its OTB sites on the races at tracks where the signal is delivered by Monarch. But McGovern said the business plan also works if no one has access, meaning Turf Paradise does not have a competitive advantage, hence the all-or-nothing law passed by lawmakers. Now we prefer to offer that everybody have access to their products, she said, but if Monarch chooses not to do that, then, at least, again, we're all showing the same signals. And the financial implications if the law is overturned and only Turf Paradise gets the signals? That is problematic, McGovern said. And that was the article in Arizona Capital Times and published by the Capital Media Services' Howard Fisher earlier this week, Off-Track Betting Company Challenges 2019 Law. Well, our next article is from the Arizona Capital Times also, and also Howard Fisher and Capital Media Services. Former State Supreme Court Justice James Miller dies. James Muller, the author of several of precedent-setting decisions on the Arizona Supreme Court, has died. The death last week was announced Thursday by a spokeswoman for the court. 
Muller was an attorney in private practice from 1959 until 1977, when he was appointed a Maricopa County Superior Court judge. A decade later, Governor Evan Meekum named Muller to the Supreme Court, where he served until early 1998. Among his rulings is one that declared Arizona's 1988 voter-approved English-only amendment illegal because it violates federal constitutional rights. Moeller, writing for the unanimous court, said the measure harms the ability of non-English-speaking people to obtain access to their government. He also concluded that the amendment limits the political speech of elected officials and public employees. Mueller stressed that it was not suggesting that government agencies are required to communicate with residents in languages other than English. He said the only requirements are those imposed by federal law, such as mandates for voting materials to be provided in native languages. And Mueller said the ruling does not bar encouraging the use of English as a common language. But such efforts must not run afoul of constitutional requirements and individual liberties, he wrote. Mueller also authored a landmark ruling that opened the door for people who abuse the elderly to be sued by survivors for pain and suffering. Until that decision, only the victims had the right to seek such damages. That provided an incentive for defendants to drag cases on in hopes that their victims might die, Mueller wrote. He also wrote the majority 1996 ruling that restricted the ability of police to detain individuals for questioning. Mueller said police needed articulable reasons to stop and hold someone. Without that, he said, the person may walk away or even run and cannot be arrested. That ruling also meant that anything the police seized without such reasons cannot be introduced at trial because those items were the product of an illegal search. But Mueller also wound up on the losing end of some decisions outvoted by the majority. For example, the Supreme Court concluded that property from a marriage need not be divided equally when a couple divorces, deciding that factors including the duration of the union can be taken into account. Mueller said that ruling was fraught with problems. He also was in the minority in a 1994 ruling that declared Arizona's school financing system unconstitutional because it creates wide disparities among school districts. The majority ordered lawmakers to come up with a new method of funding schools that is not heavily dependent on locally generated property taxes. That, Mueller said, will result in centralized state school funding and endanger local control. Mueller was not Meekum's first pick for the high court, interestingly enough. The governor did not like any of the nominees on the list that was forwarded to him by the Commission on Appellate Court Appointments. But he chose Mueller, who was on the list, after Chief Justice Tom Zlackett then informed the governor that the selection would go to him to make if the governor did not make a choice. And that was an article by Howard Fisher, Capital Media Services, Headlined, Former State Supreme Court Justice James Mueller Dies. And we'll finish up with this brief article, an update from the Associated Press. Benefits issue is still pending before the Arizona Supreme Court. An appeal of whether the Arizona legislature violated the state constitution in 2016 by forbidding local governments from regulating employees' non-wage benefits is still pending. A list released this past week by the state Supreme Court on the status of multiple appeals said the justices have the appeal of the benefits case under consideration. 
At issue in the case brought by Democratic lawmakers is whether the 2016 law enacted by the Republican-led legislature conflicted with a 2006 voter-approved law on wages and benefits. The voter-approved law raised the state minimum wage, but also allowed local governments to regulate minimum wages and benefits. A trial judge and the Court of Appeals ruled that the 2016 law changed part of the voter-approved law in violation of the state's constitutional protection for voter-approved laws. That brief update from the Associated Press headlined a benefits issue still pending before Arizona Supreme Court. And with that, I will take this opportunity to remind you that you can listen to this and most other SunSounds programs at your convenience with On Demand. Go to sunsounds.org and click Broadcast Info and Audio. And related, on a related note, on a related note, AZ Law is uh, broadcast on Sun Sounds of Arizona once a month on the third Saturday of each month. In the interim, we are producing on-demand episodes or installments of AZ Law to keep abreast of the court cases that are in the courts and coming from the courts here in Arizona and the U.S. Supreme Court related to Arizona as well. So you can find those at sunsounds.org. And we are also excited to let you know that you can now download AZ Law also on Apple iTunes podcasts or Google Play Music and podcasts and also Spotify. And that is in addition to our website, arizonaslaw.org and SunSounds, of course. So with that, we reach the conclusion of this month's broadcast installment of AZ Law. Your comments and suggestions to make the program better are always welcome. You can contact us at either info at sunsounds.org or paul.wyke, that's W-E-I-C-H, dot azlaw at gmail.com. I'm your volunteer reader and Arizona attorney Paul Wyke thanking you for tuning in and urging you to keep listening to member-supported Sun Sounds of Arizona. Mm-hmm.